All right, church, if you will go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we find ourselves once again this morning as we began Ephesians chapter 2 last week. And hopefully you grabbed an outline on your way in this morning as that will be our guide through God's Word this morning. You'll find the, the answers on the screen behind me as we move through that outline. But we're in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And we started chapter 2 last week, and there we saw uh, the just overwhelming, clear message from Paul that we are to remember our depravity. The challenge that, that in remembering our depravity, that that deepens our praise for God's grace. To remember where he has brought us from, what he has rescued us from. And remembering where we came from is core to who we are. Think about it. On a larger scale, we have holidays that mark momentous times in our nation's history, such as tomorrow being July 4th, Independence Day. But on an individual scale, we celebrate birthdays and graduations. We celebrate grand openings. We celebrate momentous occasions in our own individual lives. We celebrate momentous occasions in our lives as communities. And we celebrate a lot of things that call us to reflect and remember different things, special occasions, important dates. The thing is, we naturally only reflect, though, on the good things that those moments help us to remember. We don't set holidays and celebrations for the hard times that shaped us, that, that founded us. We only celebrate the highlight reels and not the things that, that brought us to those moments. They don't throw anniversaries or put up banners for teams that don't go all the way. Whether we realize it or not, this is a reflection, though, of the modern self. This continues to develop in this modern way of thinking. The modern self never remembers or analyzes what is wrong with oneself. Because the modern self sees no wrong in the mirror. Rather, it pursues one's own interest or one's own truth at the sacrifice of real truth and declares that to be and declares that, that is the, the own self-truth, to be the greatest good. The modern self places the desires of the heart and what feels good and right as the predominant guiding force in their lives. And this was on full display last week as we saw that in which you once walked following the course of this world. And we talked about Jesus' teaching in, in his Sermon on the Mount of the wide path and the narrow path and the differences between the two. The problem is that that wide path, that modern self way of thinking is antithetical to the gospel. Because the gospel says to sacrifice the self in the example of Christ. And in doing so, when we sacrifice ourself, we find true life in Christ. Not in glorifying the self, but in glorifying our creator. So when we face the reality that there is a holy 
God and we have sinned against him, this places us in the position to humble ourselves and to repent and completely reject or what our modern society and what indeed the lost world does, and that is completely reject the reality of God and insert their own reality. Well, this is what we'll be challenged with today as Paul continues this theme that we saw and began last week. As we've talked about each week, and I tried to remind us, these first three chapters are rich and deep in doctrine of who Christ is and what God has accomplished in Christ and how that affects us. And then our final three chapters in Ephesians, what we'll get to in weeks ahead, are how do we put that into practice? How does that affect the way that we live? Well, if this is rich in doctrine this morning, we are diving deep into ecclesiology. That is the the theology of the church, what it means to be the church and, and what that looks like and how he has brought us together as the church. And this is what we're going to be challenged with today is recalling our past separation from God and in turn deepening our rejoicing in the grace of God to bring us together in himself. So I'll encourage you to stand once again in honor of the reading of God's word as we read from Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11, where we read, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, whom has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This is the word of God. Let's pray. God, as we consider this truth this morning of how you have brought us as Gentiles in and grafted us in as part of your church, may it challenge us to remember indeed where you brought us from and the hopelessness in which we once lived and how now in Christ you have seated us in the heavenly realms. That our promise, our inheritance is guaranteed already in Christ. Indeed, as you intended it from the foundation of the world. Help our feeble human minds to be able to to just merely grasp this concept this morning and then help us to live in light of it as we deepen our praise of your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. So, again, as we consider here 
what Paul is doing. We began last week. We saw that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked, kind of reaffirming that this is a past life, right? That, that this is no longer describes those who are in Christ. And we saw that we were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. So there we saw that, that at one time, he who orders this broken world, this sinful world, was our master and that we were enslaved to him. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, fulfilling the passions of our flesh and the desires of the body. And then verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. And so we have this you and the us language. And we continue through last week's text where we saw that we are saved by grace through faith. And we concluded last week's text with that, that verse 10 right there, that statement that we are his workmanship. That we are the pinnacle, that we are the, the ideal form of his creation. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that leads us into the context of this morning's text as we begin there in verse 11, as we just read a while ago. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So we begin this morning's passage with that famous word of biblical interpretation. Therefore, this is a constant theme throughout the, the Gospels and throughout, throughout uh, the New Testament and seeing that when we see this word, it is to indicate to us that we need to go back and see what it's there for. And so in light of the fact that everything that we just reminded ourselves of, in light, but especially that final sentence there in verse 10, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Therefore, remember. So in light of everything that we've already broken down that lies behind in this text, we can have a thorough understanding of how Paul is anchoring these two segments together and how this is really a continuation of what we read last week. Paul is communicating that to appreciate what God has accomplished in our lives through Christ, we must never forget where he has brought us from. Just as he started last week, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, reminding them of their past life, reminding them of what it looked like to be outside of Christ in which you once walked, reminding them that they once followed the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. So reminding them of their slavery to sin and their slavery to their former master, the prince of the power of the air. But again, reminding them, but we all once lived. 
And so really, as we see this language of you and we, we get an idea of the greater context of that as we break into this morning's text. So we start with, therefore, remember that you were separated from Christ. So you, at one time, had no hope in the Messiah. Gentiles. Because that is who he is referring to. You see there, there uh, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, right, that you had... You were separated from Christ, having no hope of the Messiah, no access to the Messiah, no knowledge to the Messiah. But now, because of the sacrificial work of Christ himself, of the Messiah himself, you have been brought near. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. So on the outside, looking in, no access to the faithful covenant promises of God. And that brings us to our first point for this morning, that recalling God's faithfulness is a clear command for the people of God. Recalling God's faithfulness is a clear command for the people of God. Because recalling God's faithfulness requires us to remember where it was that he ransomed our wandering hearts and what it costs to do so. It requires us to remember how far he has brought us for his glory. Because there is a, a thought pattern among popular Christianity today that would have us avoid all thoughts of sin, all thoughts of wrongdoing in our past life before Christ. Sometimes you'll hear it in Christian radio, read it in, in popular Christian books, or hear it taught by some celebrity pastors. Sometimes it's subtle, other times it's more overt. It's that thought which takes Paul's words of the old is gone and the new has come, and it turns it into a caric caricature in which we never think of our own sinfulness. Rather, we always focus on grace. And this is the type of mindset that is heavy on grace to the point of being light on sin. In doing so, this line of thinking cheapens the grace of God and disguises the seriousness of our sin. Well, as we've seen, Paul was not one to shortchange the grace of God, and nor was he one to be light on our sinfulness. He wants us to understand God's grace in light of the seriousness of our depravity. Paul's strict instruction here in chapter 2 can be summed up in the word which we see repeated twice there in those first two verses this morning. Remember, the ways of this world, the ways of the prince of the power of the air, would have us believe that there is nothing wrong with wanting to be your true self. That there is nothing wrong with who you are or who you've been or who you want to be. That is what we see infecting our modern world. Paul's instruction, though, is don't you ever forget. Don't forget where God brought you from. Don't forget what he accomplished for us in Christ. Who We who were once hopeless on the outside looking in, 
have now been brought near. See, remembering is a key characteristic of God's covenant faithfulness and grace towards his people. There are numerous times in the Old Testament where we see the statements of God remembering. We see Genesis 8, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts. In Genesis 19, so it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham. Exodus 2, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham. This is not to say that he had forgotten about it. He's like, oh yeah. But rather he is recalling, he is affirming. So we see Exodus 2 again, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham. But this is also then to be transferred to his people. Because just as we see God remembered, we see multiple times the command for his people to remember. We see this, Exodus 3.15. What does God tell Moses to communicate to his people as he speaks to Moses through the burning bush? God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob... So recalling all those who had come before, his covenant faithfulness with all of them. So the Lord, the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And we continue. We see multiple times throughout the history that even the short history of the people of Israel to this point, God's command to remember his covenant faithfulness. And we can skip past countless examples. We have Joshua before the taking of the promised land. We know Joshua 1.9, therefore I command you be strong and courageous. But Joshua 1.13, remember all that the Lord has done. And we skip to Judges 8. In Judges 8, we see this. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the land of all their enemies on every side. So we see also the results, the consequences of not remembering God's faithfulness. So this is why it is such a clear command for the people of God to remember so that they never forget what God has accomplished in bringing them to that point. In this moment here in Ephesians, Paul calls the church to remember God's faithfulness. But how? How does he call them to remember God's faithfulness? Well, in verses 1 through 10, he calls them to remember their sin and depravity, and then he juxtaposes that with the depth of God's grace. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. We start, and then we go to verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And so now, here in verses 11 through 12, he's drawing on their separation from covenant relationship with God. 
while also pointing out the depravity of Israel as well. Did you catch that? So he points out the depravity of the Gentiles. That one's obvious, right? Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. So you were degraded and downtrodden, looked down upon. You were called the uncircumcision in a derogatory way. But by who? By what is called the circumcision. But notice how he points out which is made in the flesh by hands. Because as we see God call that he wanted his people not only to observe physical circumcision, but they needed a circumcision of the heart, as we later see in the prophets. And so he's saying, you were looked down upon by those who were self-righteous. You were looked down upon by those who had God's word and called the uncircumcision. Remember, that you were at that time separated from Christ, so you had no access to the Messiah. No, and you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, so you were even alienated from those who had God's word. Separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, no hope without God in the world. Completely hopeless. And so Paul says, remember your hopelessness. Remember your depravity. Remember your old master. And just like last week, remembering the depths of our depravity expands our capacity for praise because we continue reading there in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So the hero died for the villain. Now this quote from R.C. Sproul, the only works which serve to justify a sinner are the works of Christ. You see, church, this is what remembering does. This is what recognizing our own depravity does. It humbles us to the point of seeking the only one who can do anything about it. Going back to the beginning, all the way to the fall, our depravity cause broken relationship with God, first and foremost, but it also caused broken relationship with one another. So sin kills relationships. That's why it's so easy for the God of this world to draw us astray with different broken relationships. Divorce, racial strife, political differences, infighting, backbiting, what Paul says here is that you who had no hope with the Messiah, who were looked down upon because you were Gentiles by the Jews who themselves were proclaiming themselves as the circumcision, which is made by flesh and hands, you who are so far off have been brought near, not because, not because we Gentiles were able to find some way to uphold the law, not because Christ. Uh, not because we were able to, to work, our own, work out our own salvation, but we worked out our salvation with fear and trembling by submitting ourselves to the work of Christ on the cross because we were forced to see the reality of our sin because Christ himself became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. 
You see, worldly divisions are crucified at the cross. That's a little sub-point there to our first main point. Because Paul here is drawing on these ethnic differences and calling them to remember these things. Don't forget. See, all, all religion is exclusive by nature. Rather it be modern, the modern religion of wokeness or any other of the multiplicity of false religions out there which have been conjured up by the enemy to distract and deter souls from seeing the goodness of God in Christ. See, Paul's message is that in Christ, there is no exclusion based on worldly standards and division. Rather, the exclusion exists in whether you are in Christ or not. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. We, the church, are his masterpiece. This is God's working from the foundation of the world. This was God's plan in Israel. This was God's plan in Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. That his people would make his name known among the nations. And that we would be that unified people. And so Paul here is playing on these common ethnic dividing lines within his day and time. The Jews and the Gentiles. You've probably heard it multiple times throughout your time in church, even if you've been in church for a short while. See, this reveals a few realities for us. Paul's drawing on these dividing lines. That despite what our modern time may advocate, what CRT may advocate or may theorize, racism did not begin in colonial America. Rather, we see here that it's a deep divisive tool which the enemy has used since the garden in order to understand the thread that Paul is pull, pulling on here again we need to go all the way back to Genesis as I mentioned a while ago where we see that at the fall there were two relationships broken by sin our fellowship and relationship with God and our fellowship and relationship with one another and to this point Paul has expounded on how the gospel speaks to the reconciliation of our fellowship with God. You see, as he's now laying the foundation for the church and how God has brought us together as his church out of his promises and faithfulness to his promises to Israel, he's now showing how those dividing lines do not exist in the gospel but how the gospel is the only thing that speaks to those things. Here he begins to show how the gospel doesn't just redeem our relationship with God, seating us with Christ in the heavenly places, but the gospel simultaneously reconciles our relationships with one another. You see, reconciliation requires sacrifice. Looking back to last week, we saw the clear contrast of the manner of life in which we once lived and how the world now lives in comparison to the manner of the life won for us on the cross. So there we also saw how the world is ordered by the prince of the power of the air. And he would have us continually at one another's throats from now until eternity. 
And indeed, he plays on every weakness of the flesh that would have us doing such. And as I've already mentioned, in our day and time, the predominant cultural thought that he is using to further that divide is critical race theory. Because CRT would have us radically expound the dividing lines between us rather than embrace each other at the foot of the cross. See, the answer to our worldly divisions, the brokenness of our relationships, whether they be racial, whether they be political, whether they be whatever divisive relationship and broken sinfulness that causes these divisions within us, the answer to these things is not better worldly theories, it's not better government policies. The answer to these things is the gospel. You can't solve the problems of a sinful world without getting to the root of the issue, which goes beyond skin deep, which goes beyond modern history. To solve the problems of this world, we must have a supernatural change of heart. Recalling God's faithfulness allows us to clearly see his providential work in bringing about his good purposes in Christ. Which is what we see as we continue reading. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So it required sacrifice to bring us who were once on the outside looking in near Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. So check this out. Notice the change in the language. Here, going back to last week's text, we see the same pattern. So starting in verse, verses 1 and 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked. So you Gentiles, right? Because then he goes on to, to continue in verses, verse 3, he begins this, among whom we all once lived. So now there's a unity there. There's a, a common theme. So you were dead in your trespasses and sins, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive with Christ. And this continues all the way down to verse 10, this we language. And now we switch back again to today's text. Starting in verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh, in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant's promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, so this is where the shift is, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. 
who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So Paul, a Jew, is using the communal language of us and we in referring to Gentiles. It's a big no-no for the Jews. But for Paul, he's saying this is God's work. This is what he has been doing. This is why it is so important that we remember and we understand because as we see, he says in verse 15 that he abolished the law of commandments and expressed in ordinances. This is why it's important that we remember Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Once again, we keep coming back to the Sermon on the Mount. Interesting. Matthew 5. Do you do not think that I have come to abolish the law of prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. You see what Paul is saying? He's abolished that separation caused by the law. There is no longer, the law no longer separates the, the Gentiles from the Jews, but in Christ, those things now being fulfilled bring us together. So what has been abolished is not the law, it's not contradicting Christ's statements here, but is rather saying that that separation has been done away with, that he might create in himself one new man. So they're referencing Christ as the new and better Adam and the church Christ is the fulfillment of, as the new and better Adam. And the church now, no longer being two, but now is one in Christ. See, that brings us to our next point, that we are a reconciled people. Because we've been reconciled to God in Christ. Our fellowship restored with him. We've also been reconciled to one another and welcomed in as part of the people of God and united as his church. See, the, the promises of God, the law of God brought forth in Israel is fulfilled in his church. That we are the people of God. The church is the people of God. See, the grafting in of Gentiles into the true Israel is what Paul is breaking down here and showing and using this language of you and now us and we. That he is reconciled, verse 16, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. So at the cross, not only was the, the atoning sacrifice necessary to pay the price for our sins offered. But that sacrifice killed the hostility of sin, which divided us from the people, from being part of the people of God. So the grafting in of Gentiles into the true Israel is, what's happening, is what Paul is discussing here. And Jesus did not pay the price so as to create two peoples or two paths. So you have Jews as the people of God and the church as the people of God. No, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he did not create two peoples, that being the true Israel and the, the true Israel being those who look for and trusted in the Messiah 
and then Gentile Christians. No, he tore down the dividing wall of hostility that he might make for himself one people in his church. So that you cannot identify yourself with the people of God while living in active hostility toward those within the church. Because the atoning sacrifice of Christ was paid not to just reconcile us as individuals, but to reconcile us to God together as his church. Bring us to that final point there, that the gospel is the all-sufficient remedy for all the ways of this world. CRT won't be the last theory that tries to absolve the, the wrongs of the past by counterbalancing the, the scale in the other direction. It won't be, there will be more government policies that try to outdo what was done in the past. There will be more ways of this world that the enemy uses to further those dividing lines. But the only remedy for all the ways of this world is the gospel. Because at the gospel, all in the gospel, all have to kneel at the foot of the cross and trust in that work, which brings us and reconciles us first back into right fellowship with God so that we can also be in right fellowship with one another. He has killed the hostility of sin and death, and he has killed the hostility between one another. And so the challenge for us as his church is to walk in that to live united, to bear one another's burdens as we saw each other do this last week, to continue in that work as we seek to continually be united through the work of Christ on the cross and be in right fellowship with God. Let's pray. God, as we consider these truths this morning, as we consider the reality of what you have accomplished for us at the cross. And then not only did you heal and make right the dividing line that was caused by our sin that divided us from you, but in the gospel, in the cross, we see that you have also healed what once divided us from one another in our sin. So help us as your church at Southside be united in our submitting and kneeling at the foot of the cross where the ground is level. Help us to seek you together as we seek to glorify you knowing that you are at work in all things for your good, for our, for our good, and for your glory. And we pray all of this and the one who paid the price to accomplish all this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.